Amen. Hey, welcome. If you're new to uh, South, if this is your first time here, special welcome to you. My name is Ryan Paulson. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's an honor to have you with us. We are in uh, the third week of a series that we're calling Storyline. And we're asking just a simple question of, of how do we live a better story? And the sort of the short version of the answer to that is not that we try harder and it's not that we do more and it's not that we check more things off of our list. The short answer to that is that we leverage our story for the story of what, of what God is doing in the world. That we take our short 80 years or however many years we get here and we give it to Jesus and say to him, will you use it for your name and your glory and the story that you are telling throughout all of history, the grand narrative of what God is doing in this world. Now, you may say, how do, you, how do, we, how do we do that? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Welcome. We're going to wrestle with that today. If you have a Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 14. As we were, uh, as I was studying this passage this week, um, we had three, you may have noticed we had about three straight days of snow, and, and you may also have noticed that it's April, and that's not okay. Uh, we just get that out in the open. That is not okay. Um, and as I was looking out my window watching the snowfall in April, I was reminded of um, a friend of mine in California who, when I lived there, taught me how to surf. Um, I may be mourning a little bit. I don't know. Well, our lesson went a little bit like this, and I don't know if you've ever tried to learn how to surf or even to ski. It's similar. You know, we we practiced on the dry sand, and he said, all right, you know, you lay on the board, and you paddle, and then you just pop up. And I thought to myself, just pop up. That's great. I can I can do that. I can just pop up. And so I got out into the ocean on my board, and um, like a moron, paddled around for a full hour and was completely exhausted, caught zero waves, and took the walk of shame back into board dragging behind me on my ankle. I'm just going, I'm not doing this anymore. Back onto the shore. My buddy comes out. And, and you know, you hate these people that just make something that's so hard look so easy. Um, I don't. If you've ever been skiing with somebody and they just go down the moguls and look back at you like, hey, come on. And you're like, all right, you know, and just yard sale everything down, sort of like that. Well, um, I, I'm a tenacious person, and I, I hate failure, and so I got back out there um, and failed some more. But I ended up, <clears throat> I ended up catching a wave, uh, and, I, and here's what I realized. I realized that every wave breaks. Every wave breaks. Uh, and when you're trying to catch a wave, when you're trying to, to surf, there's this moment in the breaking of the wave, um, th- this very thin line where you either catch the wave or the wave catches you now if you catch the wave you get a great ride it could possibly be the ride of your life and if the wave catches you you find yourself on the bottom of the ocean floor wondering which side is up and if you're gonna make it up very fine line and as i as i watched the snow fall and thought about surfing i thought you know what i think life's a little bit like that too where, where we all have things in our life, we all have situations in our life that are like waves that break. I mean, we, we all, we can, we can sit here this morning and say we all have disappointment. We all have, we all have failures that we look back on and think to ourselves, I wish I would have done that differently, or I wish I would have said that, or I wish I wouldn't have done that. We all have times where we come up short. 
Isn't that, there's a, there's a little bit of freedom in that, isn't there, to just go, yeah, that's, that's us. I mean, we're not, we're not playing perfect here. We all, we all come up short. But, but there's this like fine line, this thin line between disappointment breaking us and pummeling us and us using that to build the story of our lives. You see, here's, here's a big idea I want us to circle around this morning, is that followers of Jesus, we're, we're, the, we're people who build on our shortcomings. No, we, we don't get caught under them. And just like it is in surfing or skiing or whatever, that, that's, a, that's a thin line between getting pummeled by our our failures and our shortcomings and things that we wish we could take back and that we, in the back of our mind, regret. And building on it to become part of our story and what God does through our lives. I had um, somebody come up to me right after one of the messages uh, in this series. And this person said to me, what if we've already screwed up our story? What, what if we've already messed up? You know, did the... Did the failure in the business just derail where I was supposed to go? Did the divorce derail me? What was, what happens if my life, and, and isn't that a lot of where many of us either are at, were at, or will be at someday, asking God that question, my life isn't going the way I want it to. What happens when our story gets a little bit derailed? And the thought in the back of our head is the good stories are the perfect stories. The stories that bring God honor and bring God glory are the ones that go exactly according to script. They're the ones that work out exactly the way that we want them to and and the way that we dreamed that they would when we were little kids lying in our bed at night. Those are the good stories. I think that's what all of us would say. And yet we know on a very sort of base human level that that's just simply not true. Um, For example... The movie uh, and, and story Les Miserables sort of, you know, blew up this last year. Great, amazing story. I mean, Jean Valjean is one of the, the best protagonists, I think, ever. And the thing that's great about Jean Valjean's story is not, is not that he nails it and gets it perfect every time. I mean, he's a criminal who, in fact, should have gone back to jail after he gets out. The thing that makes... His story, and, and I'm going to argue this morning, the thing that makes our story it isn't just the perfection, isn't, isn't success. I think what God does through our failures actually make our story even more than the things that we nail and get right. See, see what makes your story, what makes my story... It's not the successes, it's not the greatness, it's the fact that we can step back and because of our faith in Jesus realize that even in the midst of being, of riding a wave that's breaking, we know that our God is still good and that his grace covers our sin and covers our shame. It's not about us being perfect, it's about him being gracious. And oftentimes... Oftentimes, it's shortcomings, it's failures, it's disappointment that reminds us of that truth. If you have a Bible, open to the the book of Acts, and we're going to continue to follow the life of the Apostle Paul as he's on his first missionary journey, and he's sharing the gospel. And we're going to see that um, if Paul made a plan as he left the church at Antioch, 
God's plan was very different than Paul's. I mean, my guess is that in nowhere, if Paul wrote his biography before he left and said, I hope it goes like this, did it involve getting beat up, getting made fun of, and getting kicked out of almost every single town he ever went to. Just going to throw it out there, just my guess that that's not what he planned on doing. (laughs) But in many ways, it's the story that he lives. And listen to how he responds when hard times come. Chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, which was always sort of their MO. That's where they went first, into the Jewish synagogue. And spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, if you're a missionary, that's the testimony you want. I mean, you're going, Amen, praise be to God, God, you are good. This is obviously your calling on our life because we're seeing people meet Jesus and you're doing great things and where do I sign up? I want that resume, praise be to God. Then, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so they remain there for a long time. Um, as we sort of piece back together this story, Paul remains at Iconium um, about six months is the best that we can gather, which is a, a pretty long time for him to stay in one place. It says, So they remain there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. See, see, God wants people to understand his grace so much, is what this passage says, that Paul and Barnabas are able to perform miracles because God wants people to know he's gracious. Hey, and at this point, can we all say, hey, we want to be there too. I mean, that, that when we speak, God shows up. When we step out in faith, God validates the words that we say by the signs that he performs. <laughs> And don't we often think, all right, God, if you would only do this, if you'd only show up in a miraculous way, then people would believe. Verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews. Some sided with the apostles. I mean, at the beginning of the story, Paul's a, a missionary rock star. I mean, he's getting ready to release his first book. Right? How, how to evangelize to both the Jewish people and the Greeks. I've got it nailed. And by the end, by the end of this short four-verse passage, he's rescinding his book admission and going, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. And I've started to wonder, all right, what is it? What is it about Paul that in the midst of these sort of ebbs and flows of ministry and the ebbs and flows of life and we all have them where where some days things go great and some days we feel like a complete miserable failure what allows him to keep going what allows him to not be defined by the applause of people and also to not be crushed under the pushback under the complete denial under the rejection of people also. Here's what I think Paul knows and believes is that the level of our success is not determined by the sound of applause. 
And somehow in the midst of these missionary journeys and in the midst of sharing the gospel in difficult places, Paul understands this great truth that I'm not going to get too high when people say you're amazing and I'm not going to be crushed when people say you're a fool. Now, that's easier said than done. Because we all... We all have things that that play in our mind like a tape recorder. Things that people have said to us. Rejection that we've received. I can't tell you how many people over the my, my course of time in youth ministry and college ministry where, where I've had students come to me and say, listen, the thing that my parents said to me still rings in my mind. I can't get it out no matter how hard I try. See, there's this secret, though, that Paul learns. And he says, I'm not, I'm not living for this as hard as it is, because that's a very real world that we live in, is I'm not living for the applause of people, but, but I want the applause of heaven through Jesus Christ and his blood purchased for my redemption. That's, easy. that's what I'm living for. That's what I'm living for. And so when the praise of men comes, I'm going to point to Jesus. And then when the rejection comes, I'm also going to point to Jesus. Because he gets them both. Because he gets them both. Listen to the way he says this in the book of Galatians. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, Paul writes? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I think there's, there's a power in words. They have the power to to make us. They have the power to break us. And I think one of the greatest causes of regret, one of the greatest causes of disappointment, one of the greatest causes of depression are those words that we've heard and those names that we've been pegged with that just sort of ring in our head. And I think Paul says, all right, Let's take, a, let's take a step back. Do, we want our, do you want your story to get derailed by the reaction of somebody that you can't control? Do you want that, that failure to, to, to make you? Or, or, or do you want to use it? Press you forward. Look at the way that Paul does that as he continues. In verses 4 and 5. It says, and the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some sided with the apostles. Verse 5, and when an attempt was made by both the Jews and the Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. Now, just a quick side note. Yeah, mistreating them and stoning them. That's putting it lightly, Dr. Luke. Yes, they were being mistreated. They wanted to kill them. Translation. They wanted to kill them. There's an attempt made to stone them. They learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derby, the cities of Lyconia and the surrounding countries. Isn't it interesting? So, so Paul, he says, I'm not, I'm not living for the applause of people, and he stays there six months. And I've always wondered, how does Paul know when it's time to move on? How does Paul know when it's time to move forward? Because, I mean, he's a pretty tenacious guy. Here's how you know if you read back through the book of Acts. He always knows because he doesn't have an itinerary in front of him. God doesn't say to him, all right, 
first you're going to Cyprus, then you're going to Galatia, then you're going... No. Paul knows it's time to move on when people try to kill him. (laughs) I mean, that's like, you, you boil it down, listen to the way that he even gets to Iconium in the first place. This is the last city it was that he was in. It says, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. I mean, that's enough. That's enough to cause anybody to say, I should not be a missionary anymore. I mean, if Paul's honest, he's going, this, I don't know that this is what I signed up for. I don't know that this is the story that I want to live. I don't know if I'm any good at this. I mean, I'm just getting beat up and beat down and maybe this isn't God. This isn't what you have for me. But here's, listen, this is the way that Paul rides the wave instead of gets, getting crushed by it. This is what he does, is he allows setbacks to redirect him but not redefine him. He he allows the setbacks that he receives in life and in ministry to redirect him, but not redefine him. And I wonder how many of us have been denied that job or we've been denied that relationship or whatever it is that we'd hoped for and that we wanted and we just went straight to, I'm not cut out for this. But you'll see as Paul keeps preaching paul doesn't check in he doesn't he doesn't cash in his missionary calling he continues to press forward i think way too many of us and just hear me on this i think way too many of us we just we camp out on our failure and we allow it to define us and we allow it to shape us and god says i never intended that to be move on Move on. And I wonder how many of us, we carry guilt and we carry shame as a sort of penance. Like we think it's what God wants for us. And really what it's doing is it's making us, it's naming us. And he says, will you just let it go and move forward? I um, read this week about the story of... um, a man by the name of David Brainerd. Uh, David Brainerd was um, a, a student at, at Yale Divinity School, and, and his goal, his whole life, was shaped around going and being a pastor. And, and in that day and time, in the 1700s, you needed to have uh, a four-year education, master's, to be a pastor. And David Brainerd, uh, as he's at Yale Divinity School, he was a, a little bit brash and a little bit brazen, and he was a critical seminary student. Luckily, they're all gone. But, <laughs> And he says this about his professor. He has no more grace than a chair. Don't you love that 1700s cut down? <laughs> you have no more grace than a chair. <laughs> it's a wonder that he does not drop dead from his lack of support towards students awakened by God. Now... Brainerd was was brazen, but he was not brilliant because his professor was standing right behind him. And Yale Divinity kicked him out of school. I mean, they said, you're you are you're gone. You're done. 
Uh, and, and Brainerd's whole life was reshaped by that. And as he goes back and as he repents and as he tries to make things right, Yale still says, no, you're not coming back. But he still knows his mission is to preach the gospel. And, and David Brainerd, you may have heard of him because he's the first and one of the foremost missionaries to the Native American people. And his quote-unquote failure, his disappointment isn't something that redefines him. It isn't something that crushes him. It's something that, that redirects him. And I wonder, for how many of us this morning is God saying, yeah, I, I didn't intend that to crush you. You're on the bottom of the ocean, and that was a, a wave I intended for you to ride, not get destroyed by. So how do we, how do, we do that? I mean, that's in some ways easy to say, Ryan, but, but how do, when, when, it, when push comes to shove and, and life gets real and life gets hard, how do we do that in the midst of failure? How do we allow it to redirect us and not redefine us? I just want to give you two things that, that I think will help us in this. One, oops, sorry, I forgot that I put that picture. One, we see failure as a lesson, not a label. You see failure as a lesson, not a label. As I read through the book of Acts, and it's easy to fast forward, and we see the global expansion of Christianity everywhere. It's easy to, to go back and to, to sort of relook at Paul in, in that light. But I just wonder, did Paul lie in bed at night and think, God, you've made a mistake. You chose me to be the carrier of the gospel to the Gentiles, and why in the world would you choose me? Because I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm not getting the job done. Like people aren't responding the way that I want them to. See, here's what, here's what Paul knows. Paul knows that, that he has already been named by the God of the universe. He's already been named. He's already a saint. He's already been declared perfect before the throne of God because of the blood of Jesus. He's already been called a son of God. He's already been given an inheritance. He's already named. And so whatever other people say about him cannot steal that name. And I just started to wonder how many of us start to be named by our Failures and named by our shortcomings and their, their labels that we wear instead of receiving from God what he's purchased for us on Calvary and finding our sufficiency and our identity in that. You see, the gospel frees us to learn from our failings, from our disappointments, from our shortcomings, from our mistakes, because we can go two directions with that. One, we can either be humiliated by our shortcomings, or we can be humbled by our shortcomings. Those are two different things. See, humiliation drives us to despair, it drives us to hopelessness, and it drives us to loneliness. Humiliation does not drive us to God. But see, I think what Paul knows is that in the midst of that, in the midst of coming short of where he wanted to be and what he wanted to do, it didn't drive him away from God. It drove him right to the foot of the cross. It drove him to be humbly before God saying, God, in the midst of my shortcomings, I know that your grace is sufficient for me. 
For your power is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more in my weakness because I know that when I'm weak, God, you are strong. You see, God wants you to be humbled, friends. The enemy wants you to be humiliated. So which one are, which one are you? See, humiliate, humility allows you to, to ride the wave and, and to, to, to live the story that God is intending you to live for his name and for his glory. But humiliation, that just crushes you. That just crushes you. So I wonder, are there things that you're wearing as a label? Where God says, I didn't intend that as a label. I intended that as a lesson. I mean, the shortcomings in the relationship, you just wear it as a label. The schooling that didn't work out the way you wanted to, is, that, is it a label? The failed business, is that, is that a label? Are we able to find our identity solely in Jesus and then be freed to learn from our shortcomings and to ride them rather than being crushed by them? Second thing I'd say is this, that we... Um, that we see our see detours in life as an invitation to release control and embrace trust. I, I love it that Paul has no idea where he's going. In some ways, I love, although it's not the story I want to live, I'll be honest with you, I love that the way he knows he moves on is he gets beat up. And, and that may not be the story God calls us to live. I pray that it isn't. But our story will be defined by whether or not we're willing to trust him and to release control to him in the midst of chaos and in the midst of the storm and to say, all right, God, let's just recalibrate a little bit. You are in charge of it all anyway. I am not. And it's often the shortcomings. It's often the failures. It's often the disappointments in life that cause us to be humbly reminded that in a very small way were we ever in control of our life anyway. I love the way that the book of Proverbs puts it when it says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So will we, will we trust God when he brings those detours into our life? Will we trust him when the, when the pink slip comes at work that we weren't expecting? Will we, will we trust him? When, when the 4OK tanks, will we, will we trust him? But God, my plan was retirement in this year. And he says, will, will, you, will you trust me in that? When the relationship doesn't work out, will we, will we, will we trust him? And here's the deal, friends. It's not him being heavy-handed to us. It's him graciously redirecting our path and re-gauging our hope and our sufficiency on him and in him alone. It's his, it is his grace to us. It's his grace to Paul that Paul has no idea what's coming next. And it's difficult to live, isn't it? I love the way that uh, the songwriter, musician, Rich Mullins puts it when he says, I don't know where you're leading me unless you've led me here where I'm lost enough to let myself be led. 
It may be the place that you're in this morning. You're going, God, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go next. And I don't know what you're doing in my life. And I'm just, I'm lost enough to just throw my hands up and surrender and say, you direct, you guide. It's your story. You write it. I will follow as best I can. I will follow as best I can. Look at the way that this passage ends in verse 7. Their time in Iconium. There's six months there summarized in these seven verses. And it says that after they left and went to Lystra and Derbe, this is verse 6, in the cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Don't you love that? That Paul gets chased out of one town into another, and he says, all right, let's just continue the mission. Let's continue what we were doing. I mean, we're not, we're not going back to the drawing board. We're just going to be faithful. God's changed the destination, but we will be faithful in the calling. And I started to think about myself. How many times does, does my regret, does my failure, do my shortcomings cause me to step back and go, well, God, maybe you have something different for me. I mean, maybe you're not calling me to this, even though I know you are. Maybe, just maybe, my vision was too big and you're, you're shrinking it down. But Paul is still saying, no, I'm a missionary to the Gentiles. It's my call by God to go to the whole known world to share the gospel. That's my calling. And a failure in one city does not not cause him to step back and go, maybe we should have a little bit smaller vision. And I think the people that build on shortcomings instead of getting crushed by them are people that refuse to allow shortcomings to lead to short-sightedness. As I was... I'd written this message. And as I was praying through it this, um, this weekend, I was just asking, God, where does this, where does this intersect in my life right now? Where is this, where's this, where, where are you, where's your Holy Spirit pressing? Where's it touching? What do you want me to, what do you want me to know in this? Cause I just want you to know, I, I don't just preach to you guys and I love you, but, but I, I preach to me too. And this was the, this, this got me. Because as you've known and as you've, you've prayed for, thank you, uh, my mom has been at Mayo Clinic this whole last week. Um, and she just got back yesterday with a lot more things. Uh, she's, she's been ill for a few months. There's a whole list of things now from Mayo Clinic that it's not. Um, but they got back on the plane from Minnesota with no more information about what's going on. And man. I'm just going, all right, God, best doctors in the world. Come on. Come on. And I can tell you honestly that until God just yesterday was just pressing on me that the shortcomings of the medical community started to give me a smaller vision of what could happen with my mom. I'm starting to lose hope. And I say that standing up here knowing you're thinking, we pay you to have hope. <laughs> and I'll tell you, man, it's, it's slipping through my fingers. And I just sense what God's saying to me is, Ryan, don't let 
Don't let the shortcomings lead to short-sightedness. Don't, don't let, the, don't let the, the failures limit the vision of what I'm able to do. Because I'm the, I'm the God of the impossible. They may say it can't be done, but I, 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 I'm sorry, but I'm not bound by human wisdom. And I wonder in how many of our lives have we redefined what's possible And have we redefined even God's calling for us because of a few setbacks? And Paul keeps moving forward. See, he doesn't let the dream die. He doesn't let the hope die. He doesn't let the calling die. Why? Because he knows that in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the shortcomings, in the midst of the failure, God has still called him to this. This is still God's vision for Paul's life to go into the whole globe, even if there's a few setbacks. And even if there's a few failures, Paul says, I will not lose the vision. I may get beat up and I may get stoned. But you better believe I will move forward doing exactly what God has called me to do, even if it means my death. See, his shortcoming did not lead to his short-sightedness. I wonder if there's dreams that we've let die to. Where we sort of just recalibrated and said, all right, that's off the table. God, you must not want to use my life for that because of this failure. And he says, I thought I was a God that was bigger than that. See, see, that's Peter's story. You can go and you can read it in John chapter 21. Peter is a failure, quote unquote, as a disciple. I mean, discipleship 101 is you do not deny your master on the night he's getting crucified. (laughs) And Peter knows that. And that's why Peter goes back to fishing. If you read, he goes back, he, he cashes in his discipleship card and says, I'm not worthy, you must not be calling me to this anymore, God. I'm out. I'm going back to fishing, that's safe. People love fishermen. You deliver the food, that's, that's what we do. And he says, that's what my life is going to be about until Jesus comes back to him and says, Peter, 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 do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus says to him, then feed my sheep. Peter, don't let your shortcoming limit your vision. And some of you, yeah, your, your sin has caused you to say to God, I doubt the things that you can use me for because of X, Y, and Z. And I think this morning he's inviting you to come back to, to repent and to ask him afresh, what do you want? To use my life for. And see friend. A lot of us are getting crushed. Under things. That Jesus Christ. Was already crushed for on the cross. That he already purchased. Our freedom from. And he's saying that now. Because of, because of the cross. Because of my redemption. Because of the perfection. I've given to you through Jesus. You don't have to be crushed by the shortcomings, by the failures, by the disappointments. Now you can learn from them. You can know that you're covered in grace. You can be defined by me and you can use in a beautiful way failure to actually work for you, not against you. If you'll let him. If you'll let him. And if you'll in honesty come to him and say, 
Lord, I know, I know that in many ways I'm a screw-up. I'm not going to let that redefine me, though. I'm not going to let that label me. I'm not going to let that guide me. I'm not going to let that limit my vision because, God, you have purchased all of those things for me and I will live in that beautiful, glorious freedom. And friends, in many ways, your shortcomings are simply a reminder of his grace. Will you cling to it? Will it be the story that you tell? Because, hey, 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 nobody likes a perfect story. We all live imperfect stories covered by the grace and mercy of our perfect God. My prayer is that you would embrace it and that you would live it well. Jesus, thank